Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered, a premium independent podcast where we provide a premium fan experience. Hosted by Blaine Pudney, Treg Wilson, and Matt Smith. Our goal is to give you informative, honest hockey discussion and entertainment. If you are talking about it, so are we. Do you have a moose near the caboose that needs to be tamed? I'm talking hairy, big, and need some support. Thankfully, our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels. Baluga! Did you hear that? That's your moose asking for Manscaped. Manscaped engineering team just perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created the Lawnmower 3.0. The premium Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toning Spray, both super practical and they smell great too. Plus, For a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. The Manscaped Anti-Chafing Cooling Boxer Briefs might be one of my favorite parts of this collection. The Manscaped Boxer Briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology while keeping your pride and joy supported. The waistband is also super elastic to reduce chafing and rubbing. Plus, when your girl sees this logo, she knows she's got a real Manscaped man. Pair these boxer briefs with their pH-balancing liquid products like the Crop Preserver, and you're ready for anything. You need to try this out for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered. We have a special show this week. We're joined now by John Liu of TSN. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Peace, guys. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Oh, it's a it's our pleasure. Um, my co-hosts, Matt Smith. Good afternoon. Craig Wilson. Hey, everybody. And myself, Blaine. We're, uh, we're just excited to have you on, especially this week with the uh, Montreal Canadiens 
having their training camp and having someone who's actually watching that in person, uh, it's a big treat for us. Well, it is for me too, honestly, guys. It's like, I, I, I feel like the way that's the last few months of 2020, uh, the way they went, uh, which, uh, you know, came after the Canadians playoff experience, it feels like it's actually been a year since the Flyers eliminated them. So yeah, to be back at practices at the Broussard facility and today watching um, uh, their first scrimmage game, it's been a real treat. So less than a week from now, we're back in it. Can't wait. It's amazing. Um, now, the big question I have, did you have a real tree or a fake tree at Christmas time? I didn't have any tree, guys. Um, I, I, you know what? I, I should have gone out and got a Charlie Brown Christmas tree because uh, to make a, a long story very short, uh, my wife and I for the last three Christmases have spent um, the holidays at our home in Nova Scotia on the Bay of Fundy. And uh, the thing is that this year, uh, for obvious reasons, we were unable to go. Um, and so all our Christmas stuff, the tree, the ornaments, you name it, is all out in Nova Scotia. So we didn't have anything here in Quebec because we haven't spent a Christmas here in probably four years. So uh, there was no tree. I think we went and bought like a, a dinky little table tree, like about maybe a foot tall at the dollar store and some garland and stockings and <laughs> That was it. So no real tree for us. It was not even a, it was, you couldn't even really call it a tree. Well, we had four trees here. So I, I well, oh, next no, year I'll call one envy. the John Lou tree. I'll call one the John Lou tree. My daughter had one in her room. My son and his girlfriend had one in their computer room upstairs and wife had one downstairs and a real one upstairs. So it was, uh, to me, I, 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 yeah, too many for me, but everyone else was happy. So you okay. know, Trey, I was going to say that, you know, like most or many families have an excess of TVs, like one in every family member's room, but you're the first person I've heard of that had like trees, Christmas trees equal to your, uh, to your number of TVs. Uh, well, I mean, we just finished our basement. So the wife had to have a white Chris fake white Christmas tree. It was her <laughs> dream but she loves real trees. So we went to the same lot that Canada sent the Boston tree to. Mm. We went to that one and got her tree. And then all of a sudden my daughter's like, well, I want a tree in my room. So she had one of our old, an old fake tree that a friend gave her. And then uh, it was just, ah, oh, well, what do you do? <laughs> That's what so, we do. And we all use one tree. All the presents just went under the one yeah. big tree upstairs, the one real one. So. That's what we do in my house. We put uh, we put trees in every freaking room. We just go into the backyard, cut down a few trees, and throw them all over the house. <laughs> you must have a forest back there, Blaine. Well, I'm out in the woods. Ah, okay. That's the way I like it. Mm. That's why I got this. <laughs> it's the image. Looking very on brand with the lumberjack image. <laughs> yeah. I should I should be wearing your shirt. Yes, indeed. It's like I wore the buffalo plaid because we're all. Uh, I'm an. I guess. I don't know, adoptive East Coaster, I guess you could say. Yeah. So, yeah, got to wear the colors proudly, right? Right. I, sh- I could have wore mine, but I think I wore it the other day, so I don't have it on me. Yeah, the arms are getting too big, eh? It's, you're, getting, you're training for his uh, arm wrestling match with Mark Bergevin. That's right. I, I put a challenge out to Mark Bergevin for an arm wrestling contest. <laughs> uh, he hasn't answered me back, which is not expected. Well, he's not on Twitter, though, right? So That's true. That's true. I don't think the Canadians the word in his for his messages. On. You can get the word in his ear on your next Zoom. Uh... 
I, don't, I just don't know if you're going to go straight to Bergevin. Like, you're probably going to have to go through Timmins or something first, but he'd be a challenge as well. Hey, so. Yeah, if you're going to warm up through the head of depart- the head of scouting assistant GM, he's no pushover either. No, he's not. He's a, he's a shorter man, but he's 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 a big man. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. He's about as wide as he is tall now. Yeah. The only, the only story I have with Bergevin is when we were in Dallas for the draft, we uh, got invited to the bar at the Ritz by Gila Point. Nice. And Bergevin was there and we walked in and we joke that Bergevin seen me and ran away. Cause as soon as we walked in, Bergevin finished his beer and left pure coincidence. Like, I don't yeah. think he's seen us. We were dressed in our Navy outfits playing and all like, <laughs> we walked in, he finished his beer. So we joke around that Bergevin see me was too afraid. I talked to him. So he took <laughs> <laughs> ran scared. <laughs> yeah. So that's our, uh, but <clears throat> I, as, as a joke, we have this thing called Bergy arms. Cause I work out a lot. So I say I have my Bergy arms because Bergman has bigger. Well, he's bigger than me. But anyway, uh, so as a, as a charity thing, I said, it'd be cool if I could challenge him to an arm wrestling contest for charity. And anyway, it's a running joke on our show, but I don't think it'll ever happen. McLean's Pub said they would host it if it ever happened. So <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Well, we're still trying to get uh, a, a, a Montreal media karaoke uh contest at mclean's pub it's been in the oh. works for years and we just never have gotten the initiative up to do it so maybe we could do it in conjunction with uh, an arm wrestling contest with uh you got to come up with a really good uh, wrestling type nickname though trig you know Ugh. something atlantic inspired uh you know like uh i don't know the lumberjack uh, something with a halibut or haddock explosion or... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know about that so that's the finish that's the finish you know when you bring yeah. when you slam his hand down right ah, yeah. hellfire halibut <laughs> that or when he throws me across the room when he puts me down and then whatever happens. yeah the digby uh, muscle hey yeah muscle. clever not slam and scallop. <laughs> anyway, now what would be your what would be your go to uh, song there, uh, John? If you were to do the karaoke. Oh, gosh! You know what? Um, over the last couple of years, um, my well, my colleagues and I we do uh, karaoke. Well, did karaoke until the pandemic started every Christmas and at the conclusion of every season, and. Um, I think it was two years ago. Um, yeah, probably two years ago. To be honest with you, I, I wrote a song about Bergevin. Like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Quebecois song uh, popularized by uh, uh, Eric Lapointe uh, called Bobby Pin. Uh, but I, re- I rewrote it to, I rewrote Bobby Pin uh, to Bergevin. Wow. And, um, so that's kind of my, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, like a mandatory song on the playlist. It's not my go-to, but I have about two or three other Quebecois songs that are my, like, that are part of my, my set list now, uh, just because my, my colleagues have, they requested them and, you know, they just get a big charge out of a, an Anglo reporter singing songs that are theirs, right? Which is a lot of fun, but yeah. um uh, from the Anglo side, oh gosh, you know, there's just so many, like, I just, lots of genres, but um, yeah, you name it, I'll sing it, pretty much anything. 
That's awesome. Well, there we go. As the That's as the lone francophone on the show, I understood that reference, and I think it's hilarious. Bobby pin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's a lot. It's very silly. Um, the I'll, I'll give you one line. I'm not going to sing it right now, but I'll give you one line. Um, that's um, I can't remember the actual lyrics, but um, it's uh, with re in reference to Bergevin. Uh, il a fâché beaucoup de fans quand il a uh, il a changé Piqué Subban. <laughs> which means he pissed off a lot of fans when he traded P.K. Subban. And that was the line that came to me. I was shredding leaves in my front yard one fall and, you know, just doing this mindless task. Um, you know, I, it just came to me. And so I built the song or wrote the song around that one line and it just sort of took off from there. So good yeah, my coworkers love it, but it hasn't been uh, uh, released for public consumption yet. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I think there's nothing mean spirited about it. It's it's a lot of fun, but uh, yeah. Well, if you ever Thumb want to release it, we'll there. be happy to put uh, put it out on our uh, <laughs> on our accounts as an exclusive. Well, what I, I you know what would be funny is if I if I um, got one of my you know my cameraman or an RDS cameraman to go around town and we shot it like a music video and then edited it at RDS, you know, that to make an actual video, yeah. which would be. You know, hella fun, but you know what? With the pandemic on, yeah, don't know when we'd actually be able to do that. So, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully by the summer everything's going to be starting yeah. to clear up. So, yeah, fingers crossed. Vaccinations yeah. got to get on the horse. <clears throat> We're a little yeah. bit better off than you guys are in Quebec, though. We got what twenty-four cases right now. Period. Oh yeah, yeah, but a population and density and all that stuff. Sure. Yeah, but. Uh, uh, hopefully with this vaccination things will get back to normal maybe we can next by next fall we can see an nhl game live hopefully hopefully like sooner just, but i'm not holding my breath yeah uh, i wouldn't either like i would like to see before the end of the year i, I hear florida's gonna allow fans into their uh that's their yeah issue. i think they said five thousand. so that's pretty much normal for them i would say hey, hey you know what i was gonna say there have been a lot of jokes about it and yeah. it, it wasn't me that was gonna say it so <laughs> You, you got first crack at it. Drew. Remember, those five thousand fans were usually the other team's fans showing up. So, well, we'll full building in, in at Christmas time or over the holidays when it'd be a, you know, any Canadian team going in, right? Canadian Absolutely. traditionally yeah. after Christmas. Yeah, yeah. So, speaking of hockey and Canadian teams and shredding uh, leaves, <laughs> and shredding leaves. Hopefully on the thirteenth. Who at this, who so far during this camp has impressed you the most there, John? Like uh, getting into the brass tacks of things. Um, well, I know it's if, only been three days, but. Yeah. Uh, if we start today and move backwards, uh, Jonathan Drouin looked really, really good today. Uh, uh, very fast, very um, um, heads up with a puck, looking for plays, finishing plays, uh, using his skill, his vision. Uh, he was very active in winning puck battles. Um, when the play was down at my end of the, uh, of the, uh, of the rink where we have it set up in Broussard and it's kind of hard for me to get you guys to envision it. Um, when, uh, when Jonathan's team was on the attack, red team was on the attack down at my end, he was very good at, uh, you know, uh, asserting himself a puck retrieval, which is something that 
you know, as part of his game that he really needed to, to step up. And uh, I just think that this season, um, uh, I believe we're going to see Jonathan Drouin picking up where he left off from the bubble, uh, the Philadelphia series where we saw him and Nick Suzuki making beautiful music together. They really seem to have found uh, uh, a very simpatico vibe and a couple of setups that Drouin crafted for Suzuki goals. It's like you have two guys with incredible creativity and really high hockey IQ um, that's they're a tandem. And every coach looks for tandems on lines. And with those two together, that was the foundation for a very good line. And then adding Josh Anderson to it, which dovetails to my next player that's uh, that I've been really interested in watching. Uh, they have a really big, uh, a big finisher, a guy that's very hard to knock off of the puck. That's extremely fast. That's something that, you know, when whenever Columbus would come to town um, in years past, I'd always marvel at how fast Josh Anderson was uh, for a guy of his size and talking with players and Claude Julien yesterday um, on Zoom. Um, it seems like that's the consensus that now that everybody's getting to see Josh Anderson up close, uh, they're blown away by what kind of skill set, what a, what a toolbox the guy has. And I saw on Twitter uh, somebody on a reply to one of my tweets called him a unicorn. And so I can't remember the guy's name. I give him credit, but I would steal that that term because truly Josh Anderson is a unicorn, like kind of a mythical beast uh, that has a little bit of everything that you would incorporate into the perfect hockey player. So um, he's been really impressive to watch and um, uh, judging by his comments when he was traded and signed last fall that uh, he said he's hundred percent healthy and ready to go. And then watching him this week, that's totally what I get from, uh, from, from observations. And so I think he's a player that, uh, once he finds chemistry with Drew Wang and Suzuki and they get that sort of sixth sense knowing where each is going to be, that's going to be a pretty impressive line to watch. Um, and I also, uh, today, uh, an item I did on TSN had to do with uh, Alexander Romanov and the game that he had today, but also the fact that, you know, this is a guy that's, he's with practices that generally we've been observing. He's first on the ice. He's usually last off the ice. Uh, so he's a rink rat. Like it's, it's apparent. He's a rink rat. His teammates saying what we as the general public and media don't get to see that he's a gym rat as well. And everybody that you speak to says that he's got this really uh, sunny, engaging personality. So he sounds like, it sounds like he has all the ingredients to be a really, really good pro. And just watching him today, he's one of those types of players that, uh, when you get a chance to see him, and I'm not talking about, you know, don't think back to the world juniors, but when he's again playing against NHL competition and finds his legs uh, comfort <coughs> level, I think that he's a good type of guy that he'll draw your eye to him just because he has that panache, that, that dynamic quality to his game that you notice him when he's on the ice and his skating ability, his physicality. Um, I think his offense will come with time. Although the Canadians putting him on the second on the point of the second power play unit says that they already have coaching staff has a really high degree of trust and uh, belief in this rookie already. And so, yeah, those uh, those would be the guys that so far really uh, draw my attention in, uh, in training camp so far. 
Do you think that they're putting him on, putting Romanov onto the power play as a maybe just practice to see if he fits in, or is that part of their plan? Um, I think it might be A and B, Blaine, because you know they have very limited time to try to um, get combinations and pairings and special teams in place before you know they're into live games, and so uh, you know there's there's the urgency of, of, of finding the right personnel for those spots, but also uh, um, if they didn't trust that he could do it, they wouldn't be giving him that opportunity. Um, but the fact of the matter is that Jeff Petrie was usually the point man on the second unit last year, last season, but he's on the first unit with Shea Weber moving down to the Ovechkin Stamkos office. And so you've taken away your second unit point man. And so I know that Victor Mete played very limited minutes um, on the point and in power play situations previously, but, uh, and he walks the line better than probably any defenseman on that team. He has good puck skills, but I think that the Canadians, this really speaks to how much belief they have in, in the rookie defenseman. Um, so I think they're, they're not just testing him. I think they're really committed to, to making that experiment work and we'll see in less than a week's time uh, if that comes to pass. But um, uh, today in the limited power plays that there were within the uh, scrimmage game, Romanov was on that second unit like he has been in practices for the uh, uh, the last, uh, what's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the last the previous two days when they actually started doing uh, special teams. Do you find he's handling the right side pretty well, being a left-handed defenseman? Yeah, surprisingly well. And, and you know what? He's not, he's old for a rookie relatively yeah. speaking you know he's not an 18 year old he's not a 19 year old he's played in the k he had two very good world junior championship uh experiences and um so he's not green green he's green in the nhl but he has he has pro experience and uh i think uh he came to north america with the canadians knowing that he had been playing on the right side and so again they uh, they're testing him on that side even though he obviously is comfortable on both sides because left being a strong side is natural side. Um, that would be the temptation. And that's where they started him on Monday with Brett Kulak, but the very next day they flipped him, and that's where he's been ever since then and today. Um, so uh, I think they probably want to, again, give him as many uh, reps on his offside now uh, and then see if, okay, do they need to switch him back to the left side? But if not, then that's a real plus that you have a lefty that can play the right side. And if that makes Brett Kulak more comfortable or whoever else that's going to play the left side with Romanoff, then that just makes them that much more versatile and valuable. So do you see <clears throat> the way you see uh, you have group A and group B is group A pretty much going to be the opening day team. Like, is that, is that, because it seems to me that's the way it's going, but is that how you see it as well, John? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the uh, speaking about group a, the, there are some extra bodies that they're going to have to uh, put onto the taxi squad, uh, which means that some players are going to have to pass through waivers. Um, uh, the fourth pairing on defense, uh, you've got uh, Xavier Willets and Victor Mate, but it seems like, the team, the coaching staff may be more, um, may be leaning more towards Mete being the seventh defenseman. Um, and then at the forward position, the fifth line uh, is uh, Michael Frolik, uh, 
uh, Ryan Paling and Corey Perry. And if I had to guess right now, uh, because we know that Bergevin is not going to carry 23 men on his roster to start the season because of cap issues. If he goes with 22, then I'm guessing Mete probably would be the seventh defenseman and Perry, all things being equal at this, at this moment, would be their 13th forward. And I only put him there simply because who they have on their third and fourth lines right now uh, seem like they're they're pretty solid and I, I, I never want to say a locks or guarantees, but they seem to have fairly uh, uh, set rules in those positions. And so I think that Perry would probably come in uh, in the early goings, maybe on back-to-back nights, or if there's an injury at the wing positions. Now on Perry, he, he seems like a, a Julian type of player, mm. uh, a very versatile guy. Personally, I like him because he's just, he, he's kind of greasy. I like that kind of game. Kind of? <laughs> I mean, compared to me. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, yeah. So the fact he didn't spear anyone on his way onto the ice <laughs> was surprising, but I like that in a player. And I, I, I know Julian likes that as well. So do you feel that perhaps uh, with him doing power play time, he, they're looking at more of a little bit over half of the season for him playing, kind of playing a mentor role as well? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, if he's 13th forward, he's still going to be traveling with the team. And so you have that influence, that presence in the dressing room, a guy that's won everything at every level. And like, there's nobody else like that in hockey. And, and so um, to have that type of influence and pedigree in the dressing room, even if he's not playing a full season, to have him around the young players and complimenting the leadership group that they have is invaluable. Um, that was such a... Um, um, I, you know, I, I, there was, there was a mixed review. There were mixed reviews to the signing. I think the critics and the cynics and the trolls, uh, thought, oh yeah, old man Perry washed up or whatever. It's like, well, you know what, look at what he did with Dallas in the playoffs. He was not a passenger. Uh, he still has hockey. I think plenty of hockey left in him, especially if you have him in a role where he's not being overused. And so, um, you know, you talk about Julianne liking a player, like Corey Perry, well, look at the Merlot line in Boston. They were the best fourth line in hockey at that time. Pie, Campbell, Thornton. And uh, granted, different leagues now, diff- the game is different and different circumstances. But the fact is, is that if, if Corey Perry um, were to, say, fill a fourth line role, right wing fourth line role, I think that's the way to get him into the lineup that, okay, he's there. He can be kind of a momentum shifter, a guy that can go out with limited minutes and just drive the opposition crazy um, depending on the matchups. And that sets a tone for his team. And then in the meantime, you can give him more valuable responsibilities by putting him net front on the power play. There's ways to slot him into the lineup where even in a limited capacity, he can have a pretty um, impactful role on this team. With uh, you talked about the cap uh, situation that Montreal has, do you see Paul Byron playing a role in how they work the cap? Yeah, you know that's a tough one um, because with and, and really it it it, ha- it comes down to Paul Byron's contract. You know, three point four three point four cap hit for uh, I think it's at least two, maybe three more seasons. Um, yeah. That's a lot of money to be paying a guy on that's ostensibly going to be a fourth line forward. Um, but the thing is that Byron 
he was part of the leadership group last season, um, you know, wearing a letter. Uh, and it was just really bad luck that injuries derailed his campaign. But um, for what he does on the penalty kill, um, for his absolutely unimpeachable efforts at five on five, um, it'd be really, I think it, I think it'd be a really difficult move for Bergevin to, 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 uh, you know, divest that contract Mm -hmm. because he adores the individual, the player, the person, you know? So, um, and and Claude Julien yesterday was asked about Byron and, uh, you know, he said, you know, very diplomatically that he still feels that Byron can play a very uh, uh, important and valuable role with his team. And, you know, for, for the, you know, for the reasons that I just mentioned, Um, but unfortunately, you know, with the, with the way that's with the cap situation with the Canadians or well, all 31 teams, um, uh, hockey related revenue, not going to be what it should be because of the pandemic for at least this season, maybe next season. And who knows how many more beyond Uh, it really creates an uncomfortable situation for a player who look where he came from, look what he's accomplished with the Canadians scoring 20, a couple of times and becoming an important part of their leadership group. Uh, So you'd hate to see anything unfortunate happen because of numbers, but it's the inconvenient truth that there may be um, a necessity to, 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 to make a hard decision with respect to Paul Byron's contract. And I'll say it that way, not Paul Byron, the individual, but the contract. Yeah, because I know to me, he seems like the easiest person to put on the taxi squad just because of his contract, not because of his play, not because of his whatever. Like you said, he's part of the leader group, group but it, it's his contract. Like we talked about it on a, on a previous show that uh, he might be the easiest guy to put on the taxi squad just, just because of his contract and that's it. Well, yeah, and, and you know what? We, we The fact of the matter is, is that if he was going to put on the taxi squad – very likely he would pass through waivers unclaimed yeah. simply because no team's going to want to pick up that contract. Right. Yeah. Um, but it, it's unfortunate because it would be a blow to his pride. Um, you know, as a guy who really has brought a lot to that team and has given a lot to that team. Yes. He was given a, a, a an opportunity being plucked off the waiver wire, but he made more than the most of it. Mm. And, um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's quite possibly uh, uh, one of the outcomes with respect to Paul Byron knee roster decision. But then again, you know what, that, that also says that the Canadians have a ton of options and really good depth more so than at any point in, in Bergevin's tenure. And so some may say that's a good problem to have, but it doesn't make the potential decision any less difficult. So we've brought up um, adding cup experience. We've added it to Corey Perry. We've added, Edmonston, credit to Foley, etc. My question is to do with Jake Allen. The Canadians bring in a veteran backup goaltender. How important is he going to be for not only the Canadians, but for Carey Price in a, in a condensed season? Yeah, well, you know what, Matt? I think uh, Jake Allen may arguably be the most important addition that the Canadians, that Mark Bergevin um, was able to, to acquire in, in the offseason. Uh, because I mean, for the last decade, this team has kind of lived and died by Carey Price. So if acquiring Jake Allen, spending money at the backup position to uh, bring in a guy that's that they can trust to to play potentially 20 to 25 games, to give them 20 to 25 quality starts in a full regular season, 
to optimize the value of their most value or of their most important player, well, then that's that's a foundation move, right? You know, let's you know forget about Josh Anderson, Tyler Toffoli, Joel Edmondson. That in and of itself would be addressing the need at the most, you know, for your most important player. And by extension, I guess your most important position, right? So uh, Jake Allen, the fact that he's accustomed to playing this type of role, like he proved in St. Louis last year that he was the one a to Jordan Bennington and put up the, the really impressive numbers that he did. Well, provided he can play or, or, or come close to replicating that, uh, that degree of performance, then yeah, it's, there's no reason to believe that the Canadians uh, wouldn't put him in for the equivalent of a quarter season uh, in 56 games to spell off Carey Price, uh, giving them rest as much rest as possible. But having said that, Claude Julien was asked, you know, how does he plan to deploy uh, Allen? Uh, he was asked that today um, following the scrimmage. And he was very evasive in terms of attaching a number to it. Um, but you get the sense that uh, there will be back-to-back situations where Naturally, that would be a fit that you'd see Jake Allen between the pipes. And uh, and then the rest, it sounds like the, the coaching staff has a plan, but they're not sharing it because, you know, stuff can happen. Injury can happen, or maybe either goalie isn't quite playing up to his potential, and so you lean on one or the other, right? So um, in an ideal world, though, what's we are projecting, uh, what Jake, Jake Allen would be capable of, that – that could make him, like I said, the potentially the most important, uh, the most important acquisition from the off season. And uh, sticking with the goaltending, what's your thoughts on uh, Carey Price's uh, biomechanical skull mask going oh, into I this season? It. Yeah, it's oh, it's beautiful. Sick. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of. And, and once like I saw the pictures and was sort of carrying on a conversation with um, with uh, with with other uh, friends um, on and uh, tweets on, on on social media. We were trying to decide uh, what was the inspiration or what it looked like. And I, I'm sure that there's inspiration that the carry will discuss um, as the days and weeks go by, but just looking at it at face value, like with the, with the teeth and the exposed brain and the, the, uh, the, the, the artificial eye and stuff to um, one of my, one of my buddies uh, thought it looked like uh, Iron Maiden's mascot, Eddie from the somewhere in time album, you know, the time yeah. cop, um, whatever Eddie is. I don't even know what he is. Um, <laughs> Nobody does. I, I just kept thinking of the cover for peace of mind when he's lobotomized and the brain is exposed. <laughs> and, uh, but I mean, it's just, it, 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 when I first saw pictures of it, I thought, you know what, that is, that is Jill Graton werewolf mask level, you know, yeah. that is like, yeah, you've seen, we've seen a lot of great Goldie masks, a tr- beautiful art over the years, you know, whether simple, um, very minimalist or, just literal works of art, but this new price mask is something else. And uh, I can't wait to see him sporting it. Um, I, apparently it's on the way that it's completed and he will have it in his hands soon, but I just get the sense that he's not going to roll it out until opening night. He'll keep wearing that white mask and yeah. the remaining practices and the scrimmage, and then just have the big unveiling in Toronto on the 13th, which would be very cool. Yeah, oh, yeah. that would be. Yeah. And his, his new equipment, uh, he's, he's switched over from CCM to True. Does, uh, does he still move as well as he 
did before? Like, is there any changes in? in how you... Well, the thing is, and, and and you know what, I, I I'm not 100% clear on it, but a lot of the uh, the goalie gear, uh, the goalie gearheads on Twitter, um, have been very kind in in sending me information and educating me about what's been going on there. And if I understand correctly, um, CCM owned Lefebvre, um, whose designs, whose gear Price was wearing under the CCM logo. But um, I believe there was a, well, there was a split uh, that CCM sold off Lefebvre. And I believe that company is now uh, owned by or operating under the name True. Um, and so that appears to be, you know what, it appears to be what price is going to wear, but I won't say necessarily the red pads um, because we've, and that's a debate that's gone on for years that price the numbers seem to bear out that he doesn't play as well in red gear, pads and gloves. Um, yeah. But it would probably be safe to say that he is going to wear true gear, but what his game gear will look like, we, again, we don't know just yet, but I suspect that it'll be primarily white once the actual games start. Now with the, uh, the camp itself, um... What did you what did you uh, take uh, take for the, um, the the level of competition during that scrimmage? Was it as intense as Claude Julien was making it out to be, or what kind of a challenge did uh, Team White give? Uh, Team White uh, was I'd have to go look look back at my notes, uh, but well, Team White scored first. Paul Byron, whom we were talking about earlier, uh, scored on a breakaway off a turnover, and uh, but then Red took over, which we expected that simply because the talent level, the team red was the NHL roster, primarily the NHL roster minus price and Byron Lekanen Evans um, and Mete. But um, red took the lead and then team white turned tied it late in the game. Again, at three, three Jordan wheel, um, yeah. you know, so uh, what Claude Julian said uh, with respect to the, the level of competition that Team White gave the NHL roster um, was very high. That because most of the players on Team White are headed for Laval, um, so Claude uh, described them as showcasing their abilities and their their work ethic, and and they certainly put it on display and gave Red a, a really good competitive game. And uh, so, yeah, in terms of the the how I characterize it. Yeah, it was, it was a good fast game with intensity. There was physicality, not nothing dirty, um, nothing contentious, but you know, good, hard, clean hits as well. And uh, some really nice offensive plays uh, resulting in goals. So um, yeah, it was, uh, it was the type of game that Claude Julien wanted from his squad because in the absence of actual preseason games, he told them that these two scrimmage games are their preseason so they need to make the most of it and uh, uh, approach them the way that they would for, um, at the very least, a preseason game. Um, at best, something a little bit higher. And I think that's uh, we we saw that. It's just unfortunate the games weren't allowed to be the game wasn't allowed to be streamed. Um, and same for Sunday. So uh, it looks like the first time uh, fans will get to see this edition of the Canadians will be uh, for the real thing on the 13th. But in the highlights that uh, that I had seen on uh, on online, uh, I noticed that most of the plays that they were showing, 
they had a ton of traffic in front of the net. Was that the case throughout? Oh yeah, yeah, and that's what they've been doing in in practice as well. Yeah. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, well, first day drills where you had two or even the entire line crowding the home plate area, and I think that really speaks to the profile or the identity of this team, what they want to do, um, because they can do it now. You know, they have the personnel to be able to do it. And because if you go through all the lines, you got guys that are more than happy and willing and willing and able to do that. I mean, on, on the Dan O line, you got Gallagher on that second line, you got Anderson third line, Kotkaniemi will do it, but now you have Toffoli who's not afraid of doing it. Armia is a big body that can get into those tough areas as well. Um, on the fourth line, Byron, even though he's smaller, he'll, he'll go to the nets. Right. Um, and if Corey Perry is there at, uh, at some point, you know where he's going to park himself. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that individually and by committee, this is a team that's, that's built more to be able to, uh, to go to the tough areas, the scoring areas of the ice now, um, consistently, not just one line or another line, but all four lines. So, uh, yeah, what you're seeing in terms of more net presence, traffic, that's something that's, uh, that I believe you probably can get used to seeing that, that that's going to be part of uh, the Canadians changing identity. Speaking of, uh, Kotniemi and, uh, Toffoli, uh, twofold question here. Kotniemi, does he look like he looked in the playoffs, like during these last three, three days and does Toffoli, Toffoli look comfortable on the left wing? Uh, I'll start with Toffoli. Um, and, uh, what I've seen, I haven't seen anything to to make me say that, oh, he looks a little bit uncomfortable or out of place there. Is that, you know what, he he plays, um, Toffoli has skills, but he also plays a very um, uh, straightforward game. You know, um, he's not he's not fancy. He plays north-south for the most, most part. And so um, because he has playmaking in his toolbox, the ability to go down his, the left wing and have the ice open to him to make plays, that's a good spot for him. And uh, uh, I think that the more he plays there, the more comfortable he gets over in that, uh, that side of the ice. I think that uh, uh, you're going to see production out of him. You're going to see comfort level from him. That's going to mesh very well with that line. Although when he and Armia were asked about that, the fact that Toffoli is playing on his, his off wing, um, what both players said is that the two of them have discussed that. And so Armia in his head knows that he may at certain times end up on the left side of the ice, uh, depending on flow of play. And hmm. so, um, you know, they're going to work things out. And Kotkaniemi, to answer your question, Treg, uh, um, uh, the way, if, if you're asking about how does he look now compared to the bubble, I'll say that in terms of his skating, uh, if anything, he looks a little bit more solid on his skates. Like just watching them practices and in today's scrimmage, uh, he he looks that much more solid, with on on his feet, uh, stable, powerful, um, and uh, he made a move today uh, on the power play where it was almost like it's hard to describe it, but it was almost like a it was almost like a toe drag behind him where he uh, eluded a forechecker to move the play out of his uh, out of the defensive zone, uh, trying to break out for a power play. So, you know what, with, with him being uh, stronger, more stable, um, the skill part of his game is going to elevate along with it. 
and because uh, we know that he has a tremendous hockey mind, his vision and his uh, poise and his hockey IQ are all there. So I think we're going to see some really uh, large strides forward from Katanyemi this season, especially now that they've, they've given him uh, a very offensive minded winger into Foley. And, um, you know, ideally they can get Kotkaniemi and Armia um, really finding a, a, a high level of performance together because in, you know, in the first two seasons when Kotkaniemi has played with Armia hasn't necessarily yielded the results that they might've hoped for. Um, but uh, maybe the combination by adding to Foley there will make that line very, uh, uh, very versatile but also uh, one that could give uh, other teams real matchup problems because if they're the third line, you know, playing against other teams, third lines, you know, they're big, they're skilled, they're, uh, they're gritty uh, as a group. Um, that could be a pretty, uh, that could be a line that could have some very good nights, could be the best line on certain nights, depending on the matchups. Especially if uh, Kotniemi can get that missile of his shot off as uh, Jake <laughs> Allen described. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now, do you see Julian rolling him out as one, two, three lines, or do you see him just matching up depending on the game and stuff like that? Yeah, I think the latter, Trey, and, and also, I mean, Julian has a real feel for uh, lines that are going to. Um, he's not uh, he's not afraid to, to stick with uh, or roll with one or two lines where he feels that one, two, or all three individuals have it, that they're feeling it any given night. And so he'll, he'll lean on them a little bit more. And, and that again, that's the beauty of having – four lines where he can trust that he can put them out pretty much any line in most situations, right? Because if you look at that fourth line, as it currently stands with Lekkonen, Evans, and Byron, like that is a heck of a, that's a heck of a fourth line. Like that's a lot of forechecking ability. That's a lot of speed. There's some sneaky offensive ability. Uh, Jake Evans is improving with terms of his, his face-off abilities. A lot of uh, hockey IQ um, so, I mean, they could be the type that can be momentum changing, that can have momentum changing shifts where they could hem in, uh, opposing teams in the defensive zone, wear them out, call, uh, create offensive zone face-offs for, for the other three lines. Um, and so, yeah, they, they have a little bit of everything from one through four that's, uh, that really gives Julian a lot of options and some, uh, really, um, exciting possibilities from uh, the team standpoint. Do you is think there adding any... all these? Oh, you go ahead, Trent. Oh, I was just, uh, it might be a question you wanted to ask, but I was just going to say, is there any worry from Julian that he's going with three young, we'll say rookies? Yeah. You know, they're not really rookies anymore, Suzuki and Kami, but three young centers uh, playing on the team. Like, is there any concern there? Uh, well, he was asked that earlier in the week, and his reply to it is that um, uh, they've, they're insulating them to some degree by, by the veterans that are on, that they've added. Again, uh, uh, to Foley, Stanley Cup winner, you can't get much better experience than that. Um, yeah. he, you know, him with Kotkaniemi um, and Anderson, adding Anderson to uh, Suzuki's line. But the thing, too, is that, you know what? Suzuki and Kotkaniemi are really mature beyond their years. Um, they're, they're really, they have fantastic heads on their shoulders in terms of their, matur their maturity, their work ethic, um, the pressure, and the expectations that they put on themselves. So... Yeah, you know what? As young players, there are going to be lulls. There's going to be slumps. There's going to be uh, maybe little dips in confidence. But um, um, the fact of the matter is, is that they understand. And uh, as Suzuki said a couple of days ago, 
that he and Kotkaniemi have spoken about it, and they've embraced that role and those expectations that management and the coaching staff, uh, well, and by extension, the fan base are putting on them, that they want to be uh, difference makers, important players for the team. And uh, so uh, the fact that Mark Bergevin made all these moves on the basis of these two young centers perhaps being ahead of the curve in terms of their um, their 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 progression, uh, and the fact that Claude Julien is going to put them in uh, important offensive roles as well. Yeah, well, when when you get the trust of the coaching staff, then confidence is generally going to follow. And uh, I think that both players are prepared to take on that task. And uh, uh, again, it'll be really interesting to see because they're uh, the team is putting a lot of faith and a lot of trust in them to uh, to be able to. Uh, execute at that level in those responsibilities. Now, when in their responses this week so far, it seems like the tone of not just the young players, but everyone on the team is not just, hey, let's make the playoffs, see what happens. It seems like they, they have the ultimate goal in mind. Even one of them, I can't remember who it was, but came out and said, we're here to win the Stanley Cup. I think that was, uh, was that Toffoli or Edmonston? Um, yeah, it's... You know what? I, I can't remember exactly Blaine, but um, yeah. And, and you know what? That's a guy who won the cup. So he knows yeah. what it takes, right? He's been there. He knows what steps are involved with, um, with, with getting that ultimate prize. And you're absolutely right. Uh, Bergevin and every year prior to this season uh, has said that their goal is to make the playoffs. The goal is to make the playoffs and then see what happens. Anything can happen. Right. Yeah. Um, as he, as we've heard ad nauseum over the years, but um, now it's their, their expectation, their expectation is to make the playoffs. And beyond that is to, 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 to be a contender, you know, they vocalize that. And so, um, you know what, that, that's what you, if they weren't saying that, I would say that that would cause me to, you know, raise my eyebrow simply because when you make all those moves, those significant moves to improve your club, spending all the way up to the cap, and, uh, you know, the trading uh, a good, versatile young player like Max Domi, centerman, right? Um, then that's, those are pretty serious signs that, they, uh, that they're going for it. I'm not going to say all in, as Bergevin refuted. Um, yeah. And he's right. I mean, I'd say that they're going for it, but he, he is correct when he says that he's not all in because he didn't trade Kotkaniemi or Suzuki or... Um, Cole Caulfield or Alexander Romanov, you know, his, his important young players and his top caliber prospects are still part of the organization. They're going to lean on them. And so, uh, yeah, that's not all in. We'll see if anything happens by trade deadline day, but uh, for the time being, it's, uh, you know, this is a team that, that looks at least on paper that they're going to be vastly improved over last season. And they have the potential to, uh, to, uh, uh, and the very least play in a manner that fans have not witnessed from the Montreal Canadiens in quite some time. And with that, if results follow, then they could really, uh, really could do some damage, not just in the regular season, but potentially the playoffs. Who's in the hot seat if they don't have a successful season? You mean if they miss the playoffs? Yeah. I would have to believe that Mark Bergevin is because his, co- his contract expires at the end of next season. So uh, uh, if, if the team, after all these moves, after spending all this money and you know, going for it, that they don't make the playoffs, 
uh, or if they're a first round exit and don't look very good in that playoff series, well, then I would have to think that's it would be, you know, leverage for Jeff Molson to make that uh, to make that move, uh, because what else do you do? Mm. Right. You got you, you seemingly have all the pieces in place to be a competitive team that can make a run. And so um, who becomes the one that that that's culpable for it? And well, it's probably somebody that's around the longest, right? The architect of the team um, or Claude Julien. You know, I, I would tend to think that if this team doesn't live up to, up to expectations, then it's not going to trigger wholesale changes within the roster. That's it's very likely going to fall on the coach or the GM. And you would think if the team is slack and the coach would be gone long before the end of the season, right. you would think if this team was faltering that Bergman would have made the move coaching change long before the end of the season. I was just, I, I, I look at the, when I look at the mainstream media and all this stuff and I, it's, it seems like everyone has Montreal on the outside looking in when it comes playoff time. And uh, you don't really see a lot of, you know, you have Toronto, Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, Edmonton, uh, Calgary, Vancouver, all these teams in the top four with Montreal. And I just, I find Montreal's in a position that's going to, to really surprise a lot of people. I don't know, like you see the team closer than we do. And does this team feel like, I guess you already answered it, but do you think that uh, Montreal's being, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, overlooked? Underestimated? Underestimated, yes. When it comes, um, If they are, that's probably how they would like it. Okay. Right? That's yeah. uh, there's, you know, that's one of those intangibles that's, that's fuel uh, for any proud athlete or competitor that it's like, Oh, they don't believe that we can do it. Well, we certainly will. So F you guys, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, they haven't been, that question hasn't been posed to them in terms of rankings and uh, placement within the Canadian division standings. Uh, so um, if it is, if they are aware of that, if they're paying attention to what pundits and fans and, you know, um, what the predictions are, what they're saying, um, that, that, that the Canadians, that many believe that the Canadians will miss the playoffs or that they, that they don't have what it takes to, uh, to be in the conversation for one of the four teams to at least compete for a playoff spot. Well, they're not letting it on. They're not letting on, but um, you know, they'll, if they hear of it, they'll probably tuck it away and use it to its advantage. But uh, to be honest with you, Trey, it's, uh, I think that most of the predictions that I've read seem to favor the Canadians for at least making the playoffs. I think that's a lot, mo- many people in the hockey world like the moves that they've made. So again, on paper, there's a lot of approval, but there's still the unknown mm-hmm. of how is this roster going to mesh? because you have a much shorter training camp. You don't have preseason games to assess um, and you have fewer games to try to get everybody on the same page um, and a shorter time frame to do it. And so I think that's where some of the doubt or the skepticism might come in. Um, but having said that, uh, yeah, you know what, like watching the team looking at the roster, um, I, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be able to, to make the playoffs and possibly make it through to, you know, make a decent showing within the, in the playoffs. But again, you know, um, how are other teams rosters going to look coming out of training camp and uh, with a condensed schedule uh, there may be the chance of, of um, 
um, injury problems that crop up simply because guys have been off for such a long time, playing a lot of games in a shorter time frame. So I think roster management is going to become a critical factor in how a team will weather this sprint. Um, and that's where depth comes into play. And that's why I think the Canadians are well poised to be a, a, a legitimate uh, contender because they, they have so much more depth than they, than they've had at any point in Mark Bergevin's tenure. Yeah, I don't remember the last time they had this deep in depth, to be honest with you. Like, you know, yeah, I was even looking back at old rosters on Hockey Reference there going, yeah. Like, even long before Bergevin, I'm like, I don't remember us having this much depth. Like, last year, I even said on the show a few times, depth is what killed this team. You had Drew and go out with an injury all year, and he had no one to replace Byron him. Byron the same so, night. Yep, Byron, and then you had Gallagher gone a couple times. and Armia. Yeah, you had no one to replace him. I mean, Armia, if he stayed healthy, would be a 20-goal scorer. Could he he certainly has the potential to be, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. some some, uh, some joker uh, on Twitter yesterday, I think, went deep, deep, deep into my Twitter profile and dug up a line rushes or a lineup from, like, March 2016. I have no idea why they picked then. But, I mean, yeah, that was one of recent seasons from hell. Um, that we in the media have had to cover and that fans have had to endure. Um, but if I remember correctly, the first line was Pacioretty, Galchenyuk, Byron. That was the uh, Anaheim tweet. Yeah. 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 And then on the fourth line, there was a, was it Mark Lesio? Mark Lesio? I, I can't remember. Yeah. Some like that. Yeah. I don't yeah. even remember. I don't yeah. even remember him being on in the lineup. Yeah, I, I looked that up and the Canadians actually won that game. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it must not have been too bad. <laughs> well, but yeah, honestly, guys, it's like I've, I've kind of blotted parts to the majority of certain seasons from my memory yeah. because they were just far too, far too taxing and, and, and uh, uh, soul killing, you know, to, to want to remember, you know, and that was one of them. Yeah. March, 2016. So that would have been, I think, was that the year that Price's knee yeah, blew out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mike Condon, I think, was playing Nets because uh, they were first. There's also someone uh, a couple of days ago did the. I, I don't know if you remember when Mon that year when Montreal was in first place before Price got hurt, they did a practice where everyone played with the wrong side stick, uh, and yeah. they were falling around on the ice everywhere. And someone put a tweet. Meanwhile, a Montreal Canadiens training camp, and they showed the little video from that. Mm. and uh, it just showed guys falling over because they were using the wrong hand sticks and stuff like that uh but it was funny that that too was from the 2016 season and at that time montreal was a top team in the league and then i think a few days later price blew his knee out and then full collapse yeah <laughs> yeah he went on well we're, we're overstating it by saying that he blew out his knee i don't want to um steer people's memories down the wrong path it was just the most the most bizarre strained ligament i believe yes yes it just wouldn't heal right it was, it was the lower body injury of lower body injuries yeah. oh yeah well i mean when the truth came out eventually we're like strained ligaments you know it's like that just that was crazy that it that it went on and on and on and on the way it did because normally there's a pretty reliable and predictable time frame in which that type of injury would heal so again, you know, like that's part of why it's like that, that the bulk of that season is completely erased from my memory. And yeah, don't, I don't enjoy revisiting it. <laughs> I blame all Price's lower body injuries on Kreider. So anytime <laughs> if Price hurts his ankle this year, I'm blaming Chris Kreider. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs>
Yeah, bring up the old uh, blame PK hashtag or the. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Work. So as uh, as fans, some of the things that we look forward to are all Canadian matchups. You know, we love seeing them play Toronto against Ottawa, against Vancouver, et cetera. Even though some nights when you work, then you get to stay up all night to watch the game in your uh, zombie at work the next day. Um, for you, John, um, how excited are you for an, for an all Canadian matchup for the whole season? Matt, I could never have predicted that this would have happened in my career. And so I'm so stoked at the prospect now, like just the, the crazy amount of games that we're going to see against teams that you not, you'd only see twice a season, right. From out West, the other conference. Um, but uh, the, the sheer volume of games against teams in their own conference under normal circumstances that, uh, um, that normally inspire a lot of, uh, intensity and vitriol and hatred, not just on the ice, but between the fan bases. And I'm speaking specifically Toronto, Montreal, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Toronto, Montreal, but you know what, to be honest with you, I think that's Ottawa is going to be a really fascinating team to watch because they added some really good veterans and guys that have a lot to prove. Um, they improved their team immensely. And so, yeah, everybody's picking them to, to finish last in the division. And it's a very deep division, but to be honest with you, I think, Ottawa is going to, they could be spoilers all season long. I don't think that they, I, I don't believe their goal is to make the playoffs. I think that if anything, they're trying to, to, to get meaningful and, and significant progress for their young players um, and augmenting them with, with some good veterans will help. But I don't know, I'm not close enough to, to them to know whether making the playoffs is their goal. And so for that reason, they're going to be playing with nothing to lose all season long. And Ottawa uh, seems to be a real big team of agitators. For sure. The, yeah. But the, the guys that they, you brought that, um, that you brought up, um, you brought in, they brought in like Gustafson. They brought in, uh, they brought in Galchenyuk, like just yeah, kind of I mean, nowhere. An agitator, but a guy with a lot to prove. Yeah. But know? they brought, but they, especially against Canadian, all Canadian teams. Yeah, yeah, and he's well, going to be and he's going to be playing against one of his former teams, obviously. For sure, yeah, nine times. So yeah, but um, but yeah, I, I I'm I'm with you. I think that that could be one of those teams that could steal points from all the rest of these teams, as they really don't have anything to lose. You look at the matchups as as Treg brought up, and it's Ottawa on the bottom. Almost everybody's saying it, yeah. so they're going to be one of those teams that say, you know, let's go out, let's do what we can. And they're a young team as well. There's a lot of teams in this division that are one in one or two injuries away from having a disastrous season. Uh, in my opinion, uh, Calgary, they lose Markstrom, you know, or, or someone like that. Edmonton is McDavid or Drysaddle goes down. There's not much after them. I would even go as far as say Toronto loses one of their big four or something like that. Again, I don't find Toronto has a lot of depth behind them to they're almost like Montreal last year on paper put together a full healthy season they're 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 hard to beat be like Montreal two years ago when they had the 96 points uh but this year there's a lot of teams that are one injury away from making or breaking the the playoffs in this type of division in this shortened season and I think in my opinion Montreal has a has a, a step on that because they have so much depth 
they have so many guys playing on their third, fourth line that could jump into that top six, even if it's temporary and fit in. They may not score like someone else does, but they're gonna, they're not going to, uh, because I mean, a five game losing streak in a 58 game season could almost be your season. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and there's one other factor that's, um, um, Claude Julian brought it up a couple of days ago that is a very valid one that nobody had spoken about it up until that point is that one factor that will be working against the Canadians um, and the, the Canucks for that matter is that they are the two easternmost and westernmost teams. And so they are going to log the most miles out of any of the Canadian teams, out of any of the NHL teams, because the Americans are all going to be clustered into their regional divisions. Hmm. Um, like met what used to be the Metropolitan, it's like they're going to have it easy just up and down the East Coast. But yeah, Montreal crossing potentially three time zones. Vancouver, same thing. Uh, Montreal being the easternmost. And yeah, you know what? The Senators, they're about as easternmost as the Canadians too. But again, you know, because not as, not as much as expected of the Senators, travel shouldn't be as much of a factor. But for the Canadians, yeah, that's, that's something where, again, depth will play a very important part in them being able to uh, weather all the factors that could come into play, not the least of which is the number of hours they're going to spend on planes. Which kind of brings me to a question that was sent to me by, uh, by a friend of ours. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Scott McCarthy, who also runs a podcast called Moving Forward Leadership, huge Habs fan. Uh, he's also an officer, so, you know, we're, we're kissing, we're kissing uh, the ring a little bit. Um, <laughs> but he, he wants to know if you saw any holes in the lineup that you would fill. Based on all this travel, based on any of this, is there anything? Um, wow. Um, the only, I wouldn't say it's a hole, but it's a question mark for me. And it goes back to what we said earlier, is the reliance on young centers. That after Phil Dano, there are three starting centers as projected right now have four fewer than four seasons of NHL's experience, right? You don't have a Nate Thompson to help out to step in if Jake Allen or if Jake Evans is 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 having a rough time. Um, and who do you call upon behind him? Well, if Ryan Paling is next in line, he has even less experience than Jake Evans, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and um, yeah, I guess you could go on to the taxi squad. You got Jordan Wheel, who's uh, an NHL, an experienced NHL center, but um, a as a long-term uh, solution, well, that's maybe not where you would look first, right? Um, so, and again, if Kotkaniemi and or Suzuki have a little bit of a crisis in confidence at, at the same time, then again, you've your your center is looking a little bit thinner, okay? Um, because it's inevitable that young players, any player for that matter, especially offensive players, are going to go through patches where it's not working for them. They're, they're not feeling it. So that would be my concern for the roster as a whole, but not so much a whole. Because the thing is that if you're going to have, um, I guess, a veteran center um, to sort of insulate you against that, you really can't spend any money anymore. So you got to get a guy for under $2 million what will you be able to, what type of center will you be able to get? Well, chances are he's a guy that's going to fill a fourth line role. 
you know, he's not a guy that can jump up to a second or third line center position. So yeah, uh, it, you could call it a hole, but I just think it's more of a, it's more of a question mark. But I, I mean, if you look at it though, John, the whole reason Mark Bergevin went, I'm not going to say all in, but went in like he did was the confidence that he had in Suzuki and Kottenemi because of the, 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 the bubble play. So, I mean, I guess they're looking at it as not as a hole or a question either. They're looking at it. All right, you guys, it's your turn to step up. We're behind you. We're going to insulate you. Now let's go. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, to they're not doing this without forethought, right? right. Like I'm not criticizing the, uh, the the trust and the faith that they're putting in those two young players because the thing is they'll they would have seen things they would have seen elements of their game and their play in toronto that we as as untrained eyes as amateurs would not be privy to and that includes what goes on in the dressing room right you know how they conduct themselves how they prepare how they were reacting during intermissions when they were down on the scoreboard Right. Um, so the coaching staff and Bergevin must have seen uh, intangibles from Suzuki and Kotkaniemi that's added to what was apparent to the eye, their performance and results on ice that prompted them to say, yeah, you know what, these guys, we can we can trust them to, to take the next step in their developments and we'll just build around them and let them grow. Right. And you know what? The thing is that for how many years have um, fan, many fans said that, oh, you know, give the young guys a chance. You know, you're holding them back or whatever. Well, I think we've seen more fails than successes when young players uh, have been rushed in this organization. I mean, the aforementioned Alex Kelchenyak, right? Um, and uh, so Kotkaniemi and, and Suzuki, they're, I think they have the potential to be special players. And the indications are that's that yeah they can live up to the expectations, but when the inevitable uh, you know bumps in the road crop up, will the team be able to overcome that? That's all. That's all I'm questioning. Yeah. Now I think Claude mentioned it in uh, what was it yesterday or maybe the day before about Cotton Yemi. He mentioned how he showed up to the training camp in the summer a little bit more mature, a little bit more focused. So. I think they're kind of hinting at what they've seen as being something that's pushed them towards this decision. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and you know, we're, we're never going to know all the details of what they're, what, what they're intimating by those comments. Um, and, and what a player does, especially a young player in his, uh, it, during his off season, you know, like how closely he sticks to the training and nutrition plans that are put forward at the end of a season when, it's like you go home and it's like, here's what we expect you to do so that you come back to camp even better than when we last saw you. Um, yeah. Again, that, that's, that's probably uh, part of what they, what they, uh, what they perceived, uh, except that it worked on a, on an even shorter time frame uh, with Kotkaniemi because when they saw him at summer camp, um, when Max Domi wasn't able to start on time because of, health issues or concerns, health concerns with his type one diabetes. When, when Kotkaniemi reported to camp, it had been a, a fairly short time period after which, you know, that they had seen him, uh, his season end as a result of, of, of the spleen injury. And so 
Um, and what they would have seen at that point was probably pretty um, troubling or discouraging just from the standpoint, like what a terrible thing for a young player to go through. And so for him to come to camp, uh, having spent those pandemic months, uh, not just recovering, but working on his strength and stability, uh, his, his putting more muscle weight mass on. Um, yeah. They, they saw something that Claude Julien was, 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 I will say gushing about at the start of training camp um, simply because he doesn't give compliments to young players very easily unless that player really, really impresses him. And in Claude Julien's second go round here with the Canadians, um, the only young players that I can think of that, um, that he has spoken that highly of um, have been uh, Brendan Gallagher, Arturi Lekkonen and uh, Nick Suzuki, you know, and Gallagher was a little bit older at the point when, uh, you know, he wasn't a young, young player when, when uh, Julian took over the coaching reins either. So, so yeah, for, um, for Kat Kanyemi to draw that kind of praise, in addition to the, the players I just mentioned, that says a lot that he was able to, uh, to, to impress Claude Julian that, to that extent. So uh, yeah, that's just another endorsement for, how this club believes that he is tracking in the right direction and is going to be able to accomplish some really impressive things in his career. I, I've only got one more question. Um, it's about the playoffs. Now with no conferences, this kind of opens things up. I mean, you clearly you have to win your division to get out, but, and then they get reseeded. What, what's your take on the kind of matchups that we, we can finally get to see? this season? <laughs> well, it would be unfortunate if it was Montreal, Toronto in the first round, because you'd like some higher stakes attached to that. You know, um, that would be first and foremost for me as a hockey fan, um, born and raised in this country. That's, that would be my number one uh, choice to, to, to see uh, as, in, as a playoff series. But having said that, if it was the first round, Hey, that's fine. As long as it happens, because um, this is the, the the I guess the in terms of the odds the highest opportunity for the hockey world to witness that matchup because with those teams being in the same division um, for for two rounds um, it's it, it's 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 a greater possibility than what you'd face in the Atlantic Division because almost without fail one or both of those teams is going to face an American team right in the first round so uh, yeah so that really that really excites me but. Um, you know what, Edmonton, Calgary, you know, the fact they're going to play each other as much in the regular season and then potentially in the playoffs, that's always fun. Uh, but even, you know, I'm, I'm a Winnipegger. I was, I, I was born in Vancouver, but I was raised in Winnipeg. So like the old Smythe division battles between the Jets and, and, the, and the Flames and the Jets and the Oilers, you know, I have a lot of, you know, that, that, that speaks back to my childhood and youth. And uh, so uh, that would be really exciting too. So yeah, there's just so many... Um, um, nostalgic and historic rivalries that have the potential to to uh, to come to fruition with this Canadian division. That there's like there's there's really nothing bad to say about it. I, except Matt, I think you raised the point that you're gonna have to stay up. Real, uh, we are gonna have to stay up really late. Just a little. Yeah, Trey uh, and 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 Blaine even more so. Uh, <laughs> but, the, but this is a team that's um, that's 
more or less built up for the playoffs. They've got bigger, they've added the depth, they've added the, uh, the experience, etc. So, um, you know, play, if they were to play against say Calgary or Edmonton, because it is true, there is different, it, it is different hockey in the Western conference than it is to the East, but this is a team that I think can build that can play against any team. And, uh, and really adapt to to how they're going to play. They can they'll be able to play with speed. They'll be able to play with physicality, etc. Yeah. Well, that was Bergevin's money clip from Sunday. Yeah. That they can play any way they want. Yeah. You know, and uh, and he's right. When you take a look at the composition and the depth, uh, the balance. I think we're going to hear that word a lot this season. You know, balanced scoring, balanced lineup. A balanced line, um, balance in the goaltending, the way it's distributed. Um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, he, he is right. Uh, that's, that, uh, you know, truly this, this, this team has, has all the individual components, uh, that's, uh, that, that give them the opportunity to, uh, to adapt. Well, I mean, there'll be a certain way that they want to play, but I think that the way they want to play is, is more versatile. It's Absolutely. a more, a potentially a much more successful uh, style of play for the long haul uh, and the long haul being long season, long run of the playoffs. So yeah, let the games begin, right? It's almost like a Chuck Norris division team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, we're not even talking about the other divisions like this, this hockey season is going to be so fascinating, you know, like with so much hockey in such a short time, you know, playing every other night, like it's going to be so much fun. Like I am so stoked for the season. It's even though it's a short season, but the, sh- the 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 brevity of it is going to create dynamics and urgency in a way that we wouldn't have seen in the shortened season coming out of the most recent lockout. Do you see them realigning the NHL based on this season? No, no, no. I, I simply because I think that the geographical realities are could create too much imbalance or unfairness. Um, and I think if anything, Gary Bettman values parity more than most other elements to this league. And you, you have to keep teams, you can't give them, you can't put them in, into positions to, to not succeed. And part of that is to ensure that there are, there are no uh, avoidable obstacles like, like too much, too much crossing of time zones. Like when the Winnipeg Jets were in the Southeast division, like, oh my gosh. Like that was crazy how much travel they had to do when they first came into the league. Right. So um, yeah, I, as fun as this is, I, this is a one-off. I just don't see it happening again, Trey, uh, unless <laughs> I hate to say it, you know, a pandemic, another pandemic <laughs> creates a similar situation um, because un- under what circumstances would the border be closed long-term where you would see this type of, th- th- this set of circumstances recreated. Hopefully uh, never. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hopefully I'm going to give you three quick fire questions there, John. Okay. All predict, just predictions. No, hate predict. I hate predictions. <laughs> I'll, I'll, All right. I'll, okay. Who's going to lead ahead. the team right. in scoring? Sorry? Who's going to lead the team in scoring? <sighs> Nick Suzuki. All right. Uh, goal scorer. Who's going to be top goal scorer? Josh Anderson. And do you think Price is going to get back to a Vezina Trophy form? I think he'll be a Vezina candidate. Is that the same thing? 
Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's 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 my rapid fire questions of the day. Okay. <laughs> Matt, you got those, those are pretty kind. Honestly, I don't have anything else to uh, to add. I, I think it's um, John. I just want to thank you for uh, taking taking time to be on the show. It's uh, hey, it's my pleasure, Matt. Been a pleasure, and anytime we can have you back, we'd love to have you back on the show. Oh, it's always fun. No, thanks for asking. Oh, and uh, everyone else on TSN's writing a book. When's your book coming out? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't think people want to read about my life, quite frankly. So. <laughs> Um, uh, well, uh, other, I have some ideas kicking around, but I, I might, uh, I might not dive into them uh, until retirement. Well, I mean, writing a book, uh, the perfect location to do that would be up in, uh, Northern Nova Scotia along the uh, water. You know what I'm talking about, Blaine. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go down to the beach and just let uh, the that, mind drift. Yeah. Open up, uh, as Don Cherry would call him, a pop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely but yeah uh, no, you're I, welcome to come back anytime john we love having you here and whenever you come to nova scotia you you're always welcome to hang out with us well thank you it's like I, well because of the atlantic bubble um when i am there in the summers that uh, as long as you know inter uh, pro or travel within the province is still allowed uh, that's that's a possibility my wife and i usually try to get to to uh, halifax once during the summer well, you're more than welcome to uh, to hang out with us for uh, for an evening if you want. And well, hopefully, we can do a pub crawl. Hopefully, society will have returned to. John, you want to do a pub crawl with two veteran sailors? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. What am I getting myself into? I'll make Challenge that trip. Step. I'll make that trip. If we're doing <laughs> yeah, a pub yeah. crawl, I'll make that trip. You have to promise that I will survive that. COVID oh, didn't yeah. kill me, but I'd hate that if I, you know, if a pub crawl and well, maybe that's. A more honorable way to to bid <laughs> yeah. farewell. Our bars close at four in the morning, John. So. Uh, actually, I have the keys to the bar on a warship, so they never oh. close. That's oh, I, I've never done that before, so you know. Well, definitely come over, and we'll definitely get you on one. Yeah, well, so, as long as it's not a capital offense to be drinking, uh, you know, booze I've from. Never, you know, I've never been charged yet. We're high enough rank. No, I mean as a civilian. Oh no, you're with us. Oh, you're fine. It, yeah. It'll all fall on us. <laughs> that sounds like a plan guys so uh yeah so thanks for coming on and uh we hope to have you back again soon oh guaranteed thank you are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford there is a no frills no nonsense company that wants to provide that to you no name hockey no Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the no-names and players currently making a name.
we here at Habs Unfiltered would like to thank you, all of our listeners, old and new, for tuning in. Please, click subscribe so that you never miss an episode of all of our shenanigans. And remember, if you are talking about it, so are we. Did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.